We are starting today our, our road towards the cross as we enter into uh, uh, what many call the Lent season. Um, it is a time to turn our hearts to this greatest of gifts, which is the salvation, the redemption of our life by a God who did not stand by or just walk away when we were totally lost, but that when we had no way to get back to him, he stepped out and came to us. And, and when we think of this great salvation, I, I think too many times we think of it as God is saving us, and we use that word salvation, and the problem that I don't like salvation as much um, uh, as redemption, because salvation, which it is, and he has saved us from something, but too many times our focus is on that, that God is saving us from hell, that he is rescuing us from, from that pain and eternal separation, which that is definitely true, and I thank God for that, but that is such a small part and if all we see God as, as, is, is an escape from something, we miss out on what it really was. It was a redemption to something. God's desire is not that you escaped hell, but God's desire is that you enter into life. Everything he did had nothing to do with hell and had everything to do with the life that he wants you to, to experience and to embrace and to enter into. And so as we move towards the great act that brought us life, um, we want to look at a subject matter uh, for the next few weeks uh, that brings us that life. And this is what Jesus, as he walked the road towards the cross, his life was a model for us. Uh, that as we walk the road towards that that great event that brings freedom and life, the same preparation that he went through is the preparation that we um, are called to so that we might enter into that life. Not so that we might escape hell, but so that we might enter into life. And the, the process that he went through, we are calling for the, this, this series the unselfing of ourself. We need to unself so that we might receive the life that God has for us. Um, and so we are going to walk through the life of Christ over these next few weeks. And hopefully we will learn from and enter in to the same pattern that he has shown us and that he calls us to. Um, of course, the one thing that... Um, uh, usually kicks off this season um, is the very thing that kicked off Jesus's ministry as he started his ministry um, we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 4 Luke chapter 4 and uh, actually we're going to be in Luke this whole series so we're going to work, work our way through uh, the book of Luke um, as we learn what does it mean to unself um, how do we uh, put that into practice. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days, 
being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. As we see this example of Jesus, we look at the life that we live in now. Uh, we live in a culture and in a society that is really no different than any other time, although it has a different way of, of showing itself and the way we live it out. But it, it is really from the very beginning, even in the Garden of Eden, this is the temptation, the call that pulls us from within. And today it has a specific uh, label, um, which is this label of expressive individualism. We live in a, a day and age where this is kind of the, this is the very um, uh, expression of, of what culture is calling us to. This idea of expressive individualism and this term is not just in in religious circles but actually is in the modern day uh, 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 vernacular uh, that they will um, endorse that we are called to experience this and, and it is a positive thing in the world's eyes that that we should begin to express our individualism well what is expressive individualism and and, and really we see it everywhere uh, we see it in our, in our media, in our movies, um, in, in every part of culture. But um, this is a great uh, definition, and this is um, by Trevin Wax, who is the uh, managing editor of the Gospel Project, um, which we uh, uh, study on Wednesdays. He's also a pastor and um, uh, uh, works also with the Gospel Coalition um, and others. Um, but this is, this is what he says expressive individualism is. He says, according to this way of thinking, 
The goal of life is to discover and express your unique sense of self. No matter what others may say or do to challenge your freedom of personality. The narrative arc of your life is finding your personal route to happiness by following your heart, expressing your true self, and then fighting whoever would oppose you, whether it is society, your family, your past, or your church. Now, how many know that that, that is exactly um, what we uh, experience today? Because we live uh, in a culture that says you are, you are not living until you find yourself. Um, that, that we are not to uh, uh, hold ourselves down, but we need to express who you are. And not just within yourself, but you need to express it. Um, you need to not let other people inhibit you. In fact, we see boundaries and we see those things as, as intrusions into your life um, to where even, even elementary kids are encouraged. Don't listen to your parents. You find who you say you are and you begin to express it, even though they have not even developed an understanding of who they are and yet the extent of this idea uh, has pushed off every uh, boundary and every uh, uh, sense of, of uh, correction to simply be a free-flowing expression of what you feel. The focus is feelings. The focus is uh, your sense of yourself. Um, and, and so there's this, there's this encouragement to find yourself and to be yourself. Uh, in fact, um, they tell you that if, if you are not being true to yourself, you're not truly living. Does that sound like movies? And, and we, we celebrate heroes uh, that have, have uh, made that choice uh, to live for themselves, to find themselves, to you do you. Um, and, and we lift that up. We see it in Disney movies for kids. In fact, that's the message that you look throughout every one. Um, and it is, and, and in a sense, it's, we're not saying that everything about that is bad, but, but we see that if that is the, the arc of our life, if that is the purpose of our life, we are entering in, uh, and we've already entered into a very dangerous pathway. Because even though it sounds good, to be who you are and to, to find yourself is not, you know, self-image is important uh, and, and to feel good about yourself and to be confident. But you see, there's an underlying fault in that, that even though it looks good, we, we, we can track this um, in, a, in a way that as we have embraced this, studies have shown that in the last decade to 20 years, this uh, uh, idea, which has become pervasive, has not led to freedom. See, the whole purpose of this is that, that as you begin to express this, and you will begin to find true life. 
that you will begin to find happiness because now that we have taken off the cultural bonds of norms and morals that have been oppressive and held you down, now you can be yourself and, oh, they're just a, a freedom. And yet we have not seen that in culture. Uh, we have not seen that in, in, in people's lives. Um, it has not led to flourishing, but yet actually this, this cultural mantra has led to an absolute explosion of depression, of suicide, of disenchantment with life, of chaos and conflict. There has been more anxiety and fear when they, when they have done studies and polls. If they ask people to be honest, they have felt more unstable and detached than ever before. The use of prescription drugs has exploded and has become an epidemic of opiate use for so many reasons. And yet, we have been preaching this mantra of just find yourself. So why has it not produced the freedom that it promises? Well, here's the thing. In contradiction to this idea of expressive individualism, we see one person stand opposed to it. And that person is Jesus. Jesus. Hopefully we'll get this straight. Jesus, whose life is a picture of the most content person that we know of. That no matter what happened in his life, it seemed like he was not rattled. He had a purpose. He had a goal. He had uh, uh, enjoyment. He had life to the full. And yet, he emptied himself of himself. We see the very person who is the picture of the most uh, uh, content and happy person we see the person who is most free from this self-focus. We look throughout his own words that he says, I don't even do what I want. I do whatever I hear the Father say. And as he lived a life free of self-focus, he actually received what the world promises us through self-focus. And so this is the idea, as we just saw through this, this idea of his temptations, that the answer is not found within us, but the answer to life is found when we actually do not look at self, but when we unself ourself. And so we want to look at this example of Jesus. How did he experience this, this unselfing. Um, so we need to look at, we know that the ultimate, the ultimate um, uh, act of unself was his death on the cross, that Jesus came to die, to give his whole life, not just his emotional life, not just his personality, but that he died even a physical uh, death on the cross but you see that death did not happen just when he went to the cross 
we see that the death, the first time that Jesus died was in this part of scripture that we just read. It is when he went into the wilderness and he didn't die physically, but he died to himself. So we pick up the scene that we read. We see that he is in the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. See, now here's the first thing. As we begin to to look outward away from ourselves, many times, yes, it will lead through the wilderness. It's going to lead into things that are not seen as the most desirous. And this is where it starts. It is not based on our desires of good. We need to understand that our desires, our felt needs, are not the actual substance of what we truly need. And we're going to see this in the desires. So as, as he went into the wilderness, he experienced hunger. He didn't experience fulfillment. He experienced hunger. He experienced vulnerability. Um, He experienced uh, the opposite of what many times we think life should be about um, to get everything that we want. And we, many times we think of Satan coming at the end of that 40 days. If you remember when we read that, it does not say that, and then at the end of 40 days he was tempted. It says that he was led into the wilderness And for 40 days, he was tempted. He was tempted from the very beginning. Satan was there when he entered the wilderness. This did not happen at the end of 40 days. Um, And and so the, the whole process of him going through this fasting time um, was itself the process of temptation. So what was the temptation The temptation was he began to become hungry. And we know that Satan said, take this stone and turn it into a loaf of bread. You can do it. And we know that that would have been very easy for Jesus. It would have been very easy for Jesus. In fact, we know that his first miracle was turning water into wine, um, something uh, that you could consume. And, And so we know that this would go right in line with what Jesus was able to do. Um, And yet, um, Jesus responded and said, no, I can't do that because God has a different purpose. You see, he was led into the wilderness for a season, and he knew that. This is not what life is, but, but there's a season of wilderness that is going to prepare me, that is going to build something within me. Jesus knew that there was a purpose for the wilderness, that God had a reason He knew that God was going to give him life, that he did have life, that he was on his journey towards true life. And because of that, he was willing to go into the wilderness because this is part of the journey to that life. And so the real temptation was this. Was he willing to please please a desire by filling a need rather than pleasing God by needing his desire. In other words, he knew that God had a desire for him to go into the wilderness. He needed God to have his will in his life. God, I want your desire for me. 
more than anything else. Because that desire for me, he, he knew that God's desire for him was good. That God's desire for him was abundant life. And so therefore, instead of pleasing what he felt as his need, instead of pleasing himself, pleasing his own desires by filling a need, he pleased God by needing his desire. When we begin to seek the desire of God, Rather than to desire our pleasing, we are on the step, we are on the road to a greater experience of life than ever before. But this is the temptation. See, this is the crux that we are at today. What are we going to do? This is the same temptation that we are facing every day of our life. Will we fulfill our desires or will we need God's desire? Not just, not just try and please God, but do you need God's desire for your life? It's when, that, when we come to that place that we realize, it's not that I just want to please God. I think most of us want to please God. And so that's the whole thing. We try, and, we try and find out, how can I please God and fit that in to this puzzle of my needs and my desires and God's needs and God's desires? What we're saying today is we need to totally throw out your own desires. Jesus said, my desire is a mirage. Yes, I desire food. And yes, I need food. He knew that you do need food to eat. You do need uh, water to survive. But I know that God's desire for me will take care of all of that in his way, in his plan. In his timing. And so Jesus um, uh, responds in this way. He says, we know the, 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 the word that he quotes. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And in Matthew, it gives us the expansion of that. He says, but by every word that God has spoken. That proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, here's what Jesus saw. He was able to respond by needing God's desire for his life more than his own because he realized that our felt needs do not bring life. We need to understand that. We do not live by bread alone. What you think you need is not where life comes from. Do you need it? Yeah, you need it, but that's not life. See, our problem is we define that as life. We, we define pleasure as life, and there's our problem is we don't understand what life is. Life is more than pleasure. Life is more than what we feel that we need. Jesus knew man does not live by bread alone, but here's what he knew, that God speaks life into us by showing us what we need. Here's how we find life, not by the bread that we eat, not by the fellowship with the friends that we have, not by finding identity and achievement through success, but we find what we need by letting God speak life into us. You see, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by the every word that God speaks from his mouth. It is when we let God speak life into us that he shows us what we really need. And you see, what we really need 
is not pleasure, and it is not attention, and it is not self-image. It is not confidence to be who we are. We don't really need that. In fact, that is destroying us. What we need is we need redemption, and we need um, a, 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 a restoration of life from God himself. We need a relationship with God. You see, we need that more than we need the bread that we eat. We need that more than the air that we breathe. But we don't know that because that's not what we feel. And so much is based on what we feel we need. And yet when we begin to respond to life in this way, God, speak life into me and show me what I really need. When we begin to live by every word that has proceeded from the mouth of God, rather than the bread, the daily bread that we eat, that's when we find life. You see, that is what Jesus found was the answer to the temptation. That is the answer to expressive individualism that says, you do you, you find yourself. No, I know who am I. I am not good enough. I need to know not myself. I need to know God. I find life not when I find my true self, but when I find a true connection with God. Because God is the definition of life. I am not the definition of life. When we begin to enter into that relationship, it opens up way more than we could ever find by opening up ourself and our own desires. So what does it mean to have God uh, speak life into us? What does it mean to unself ourselves? Jesus shows us this. Um, he, he, with every temptation, submitted himself to God's desire. So we see that the very definition of unself is when we submit our desires to God's will and not define God's will by our desires. Now see, that's a tricky thing because many times we will say, okay, God, I'm not gonna live by my desires. I'm gonna live just by your will, but how do I know what your will for my life is? How do I know what you're telling me what I need? And so many times we define what God is telling us by what I feel. And again, we just keep falling back to, to myself and what I need. But yet, Jesus says, I'm not going to define God's will for my life by what I feel. In other words, many times we know, well, God wants me to be happy, and he's given me this desire, so he wouldn't have given me this desire if that's not his will for my life. And so therefore, many times we use our own desires and we use this, this jargon of, of religion or Christianity to kind of justify it, but really all we're doing is going back to me being what I want to do. And I will use my desires to say, well, God, you must want, this is, must be what God wants for me because this is what he's given me, this desire. And so therefore, I define God's will by my desires. And yet, if I'm going to submit myself to the desires of God, I cannot define the desires of God by my desires. I have to be open to the Spirit. I have to be listening 
to what God is saying. Because just because something is does not mean it's something that should be. Um, we see people um, in, in so many ways in the church. We see this uh, in our um, uh, society today. People that struggle with sexual identity. Well, God would not have given me this, this sense of, of this if, if that's not who I was really meant to be. And we're even seeing churches embrace this, that yes, this must be God's desire for us to break down these barriers. And they're defining God's will by our desires rather than submitting our desires to God's will. We see this even in, in marriages and homes that are broken apart because, you know what, I'm not happy in this marriage and I'm not happy in this. And, and so therefore, you know what, God would not give this to me because God wants me to be happy and so therefore this feeling for this other person must be God's will for my life and we've seen pastors and we've seen people even in the ministry that, that will break up their family because God has brought me this person I can just feel that this is a special person why would God have brought that person to me if it wasn't his will and yet what they've simply done is they've entered into a wilderness into a place of testing, and they have failed the test. And instead of submitting that desire, yes, you have a desire, and yes, we all have temptations, and yes, we all have carnal needs, but the whole point is that we need to, we need to defeat those needs. We need to come against those sinful nature and say, yes, I am uh, feeling this, but just because I feel this does not mean I need to express it. I can seek God's desire for my life because that is not me. Who I am is who God says I am, not what I feel. And so we need to begin to let those wilderness times. You know, many times we say, well, God, why would God do that to me just to hurt me? Because God has a purpose for the wilderness time. God had a purpose for Jesus to go through wilderness. God has a purpose for you to go through that. So there are times that when you deny yourself, yes, you are going to go through a wilderness time. But there is a purpose for that. God has a purpose of preparing us. God has a purpose of transforming us. God has a will for that time because otherwise we can never reach the heights without the training of the depths. There is the pain in the weight room that brings the strength on the field. And so it is in that pain that we don't say this is not God's will. It is when we embrace it and say, yes, this is God's will and I'm not gonna give in to my desire to escape that. But here's the thing. We are not just facing a temptation within ourselves. I wish it was just overcoming our own wants and needs because then it would just be between us and God and okay, there's this battle that I'm facing and then there's what God wants. But here's the thing. None of us are facing uh, these battles just within ourselves. All of us actually are not doing whatever we want. There are always boundaries that we are submitting ourselves to. We all submit ourselves to an external grid of beliefs that control us here's an example this example was given by tim keller 
He talks about two different people. He said, consider a, uh, uh, a person back in the Middle Ages, a, an Anglo-Saxon warrior, a Viking uh, 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 warrior. In, in that culture, let's say he has two different urges. First of all, there is the urge uh, to dominate women, to put them down, for they are property and to stand up and be aggressive and vicious and violent and he expresses that and it is accepted in the culture because that is what the culture says a man should be and and so he says this is who I am and there is there is an expression of that but then at the same time he has a desire for other men and there is shame in that, and yet he says, I will not do that because in this culture of society, that is not me. And so he, he embraces uh, the, the, sorry about that, the violence and the oppression and uh, the control, and yet he puts down these other urges, um, and, and that becomes who his identity is. Now we go forward to today. Same two urges in people's life. And yet now a young man, a modern man, has the desire to control, uh, to push down and, and violate a, a woman. And yet the world says, you cannot do that. And within them he says, I cannot, that is not me. That, that is the wrong that I have to suppress that because that is not right. And yet he has a feeling for another man. And yet he can say, this is me, and celebrate that because the culture has embraced that. And so we see the same man throughout history has similar temptations, and yet our expressions have changed throughout history because we all allow an external grid to monitor our choices. So here's the question. Both of those actions are wrong. We know that. Neither one is right, and yet we use the external grid of culture to determine who we are. So here's the question. None of us are expressing truly who we are, for we all know there's parts of who we are that is not right, and we reject that. Even though we struggle with it, we reject it because we have this external grid pressed upon us that tells us, what's right and wrong. So the question is simply this, and this is what the discipleship process is. Who are we letting tell us who we are? You see, none of you are being who you are. You're all being told who you are. The question is, are we going to let society and culture and family and history tell us who we are? Or are we gonna let God and the word of God begin to put upon us a grid that tells us who we are. You see, the culture will say, you're giving in to the oppression of religion, and God is just trying to force you into his mold. And what they neglect to see is that, no, you're doing the same thing. Culture is trying to press you into your mold. Culture and society are the ones that are oppressing you into accepting the weaknesses and the problems within your own life and letting those, those failures destroy you so whose mold are you yielding yourself to 
That's really the question. Because we are all being molded by a grid. And yet Jesus says if we will submit ourselves to the word of God, you see, if we will live by every word that comes from God, not only will we find direction, but we will find a transformation into life itself. You see, here's the thing. You have needs. You have needs that you don't feel. That's the danger parts. There are some needs that are deeper and more critical than the things that you feel. The needs that you feel are very superficial. The needs that you feel, whether it is an attraction to a person, uh, whether it is a need for uh, accumulating uh, wealth and things and being able to do those things and the desire to experience pleasure and the desire to do these things, those are all superficial things. And yet you are not even realizing that there are deeper needs that you're not even feeling. Much more critical needs. It's like the person who's about to die of a heart attack how many knows that if, if they realized that the need that they had to get to the hospital, they wouldn't die. They would go to the hospital. And yet we have a need. We are on the verge of spiritual death, of emotional death, and yet we don't even realize it because we don't feel the need until it's too late. Yet God is crying out to us, let me show you your needs. There are needs that I know you need, and if you will listen to me, we will, we will take care of them before you ever have to worry about them. And, and so God desires um, to give us what we don't even realize we need. That's how good God is. These words of God are not uh, things that hold us down, but they are things that give us things that we don't even realize we need. So as Jesus unselfed himself, we see that this is not the first time. It says that at the end of the temptation, it says the devil left him to return at a more opportune time. In other words, Jesus was going to face this again. And we face this more than one time. It's not you just make your decision one time. It says in Luke uh, chapter 4.13, it says, when the temptations were done, he departed until an opportune time. The next time we see it is in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He realized that it was coming time that God once again was leading him into a wilderness time. But there was a purpose for it. This was a need. It was a need that was going to blossom into great honor and glory. But it's a hard path towards it. But it says, Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. The word rebuke was the same word that it used when Jesus said he rebuked the demons. And Peter is rebuking Jesus, saying, Jesus, you, this will not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, 
get behind me, Satan. Now, when Jesus calls you Satan, you need to watch out. That's pretty bad. But this represented the same temptation uh, of Satan. Satan was back again. It says, you are a hindrance for me. And here's the thing. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, when we begin to unself, we begin to put our mind on the things of God rather on the things of man. That's the key definition of of winning this temptation, of, of setting that journey towards true life starts with setting your mind on things of God rather than things of man. When we're making a decision, should we do this, should I do this, you need to ask yourself, are you setting your mind on things of God or on things of man? Is it just a superficial need or is there a need that is deeper that God must see because God says no? When God says no to something and you don't understand why God says no to something, I'll guarantee there's a need in your life that you don't feel. It's like you don't feel when your arteries are clogged up. You don't feel when there's an aneurysm about to burst in your head. You're not going to feel that. There's no way for you to know that. Except a doctor comes and says, do not eat this anymore because you are on the verge of this. Oh, I'm glad that you told me. We don't say, you're such a jerk. Don't tell me what to do. And yet that's what we're telling Jesus. But yet God sees a need that we can't feel and there's no way we can know about it. And so he says no. So therefore, we need to set our mind on things of God and not on things of man. And again, uh, it says that in Luke 22, after the, the Last Supper, it says, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. And we all know this prayer. Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Because you know what? I feel a need to not be killed. How many know that's a common, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to experience that. There is a need that I feel, a felt need. God, take this away from me. That's a good prayer. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because there might be a deeper need that God you see that I don't see. So therefore, I submit my needs to please you so that you can show me what I need. And it says there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And yet after the strengthening, look what it says. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. But this is what he learned. Not my will, but thy will be done. If we're going to experience life, we've got to begin to live by this mantra. Not my will but thy be done. It's not you do you. It's you do God's will, and you will find life. Yes, you may go to a cross. Yes, you may be sent into the wilderness. Yes, you may suffer for a season, but then you will be glorified, but then you will be resurrected, 
Then you will be honored above anything you could have ever achieved yourself. You see, when we submit our desires to God rather than expressing our individualism, it's like trading in a mud pie for a good, fresh apple pie. There's no comparison. So how could he do this? I close with this. How could Jesus do that so easily? You know, we, we struggle with this. And even though God tells us we need to unself ourselves, how did, was Jesus able to do it? Because we know that Jesus, oh, he could do it because he's God. No, it says that he emptied himself of his godhood. It was there, but he chose not to live by it. He did not experience it in that way. So he was fully man when he made these choices. How could he do that being a fully uh, uh, emotional man just like us? How could he make that? Well, we need to go right back before the temptations in chapter three. In Luke chapter three, it says this. We all know the story. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying and the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I'm gonna tell you the reason he was willing and able to free himself from self-focus is because he knew who he was. He had a deep, defining identity that did not come from his feelings, did not come from society or culture, but it came from the word of God. I've heard God say, I am his son. And it is because he knew who he was. He said, if I am his son, and if he is pleased with me, then how can I do anything else but please God? Because he knew deep within who he was. And I'm going to tell you, how can you free yourself? How can you unself your life in this season? You need to know who you are. More than anything else, you need to hear the word of God. Because I'm telling you today, the word of God speaks to you just as it spoke to Jesus at the Jordan. And God is telling you, you are my son. You are my daughter and I am well pleased with you, and I have a purpose for you, and I have chosen you, and I have redeemed you, and I have purchased you with the blood of my son. You are special, and you are the apple of my eye. When you let that knowledge begin to go deep within you to find your identity, that my identity is not I am male or female or, you know, I, I need to express myself. That's not my identity. My identity is who God says I am. And even though I may feel these other things, and I may feel uh, like those are things, I can say that's not me. That's my flesh. That's the part that was broken. But yet I listen and I know who I am because I am who God says I am. When we begin to live with a knowledge of who we are, then we are able to say when temptation comes, no, no, I'm not gonna give in to my feelings. Because those are superficial. In fact, I choose not to live by bread alone, but I am going to choose to live by every word that God speaks.
And in so doing, I unself myself. I detach myself from self. This is how Jesus said, I die to myself. Because I want to please the one who tells me who I am. I want to find, I want to need the desire of God in my life. You see, when we need his desire for us more than we need to feel good, we are able to unself ourself. So here's the question. What bread are you living by? Are you living by the stones that you're turning into bread for yourself? Because you see, that's what we're all doing. The things that you're meeting your needs with are stones. They're not real bread. They're lies. They're deceptions. And yet, we're taking the stones rather than the words of God. What bread are we choosing to live by? I want to encourage you today. Will you choose to live by the word of God? And to say, I'm not going to live by myself. I'm not going to express myself because I know that my heart, there is nothing pure in it. And I'm going to choose the life that God has. Because God wants you to have more than the superficial. Jesus said, I've come to give you the abundance. But that only comes when you choose to unself your life. Let's bow our heads.